0: Tuchel is gone and Potter is in. Good times ahead for Chelsea or bad? We discuss. Also, a review of the Champions League games, first-hand report from the Parc de Princes for PSG-UA. This is the Toki Taka Podcast. Good evening and welcome to the first ever midweek edition of the Toki Taka podcast. On the panel today, I have a rejuvenated RK and Ab who have just recovered from a flooded city. How are you, boys?
1: Yeah, the water has receded, but uh, that shock is over. But for out there is another shock yesterday.
2: <laughs> the water has receded, and so have my hopes.
0: For the season? Did you have any at the start of it? <laughs> Of course, Chelsea has dominated the headlines with the sacking of Tuchel. And just before we were about to start recording, Potter has been announced. So that's obviously something we we are keen to discuss. But uh, just before we get into it, uh, do any of you remember any any weird sackings or, uh, I mean, heartbreaking sackings? I mean, something you didn't really want to have uh, happened.
1: Yeah, talking of weird sackings... Like, I, I, you know, the mind goes back to Chelsea all the time with these kind of things. Ancelotti at the time, I thought was, uh, I, I don't know, I, I I don't think we can use the word unexpected for Chelsea anymore, but it was a very disappointing thing even for neutrals. Uh, didn't expect or I don't think he deserved to be to go in the summer of you know 2011. Mourinho also, I think he perhaps was the first one uh, you know to face the situation and he saw it coming and he resigned. So those two are the top of my mind. The weird ones, I think I was just reading about this funny incident where Tommy Docherty in 1977, he was the man- uh, Manchester United manager at the time, got into an extramarital affair with the wife of uh, the United physio and then they discovered it and, and and they basically fired him because of that is what I read. And the funny part is then uh, those two got married, the physio's wife and Docherty who himself was married and they are still together. So. Personal life over professional life.
0: I mean, if you think of sackings, of course, your mind either goes to Chelsea or it goes to Watford. There are no third options.
2: I'm going to go a little away from Chelsea. I think the most heartbreaking sacking in recent memory is uh, Ranieri. Right? The year after uh, he took Leicester to the title, uh, that was a very like it was not unexpected i think the results were not good and people knew it was coming and at at a point the owners were almost like uh, we have to sack you but we're sorry to do it and it was it, it 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 was it ended up being a very respectful sacking in so many different ways and then you know since then he's been back at uh, the king power a number of times he receives a standing ovation for what he did which was just the most incredible thing yeah that i think that i would put as Uh, definitely one of the most heartbreaking sackings that uh,
0: you'll see. Yeah, I don't think uh, Ranieri ever has to worry about buying a beer if he's in Leicester ever. Yeah, uh, another weird one I can uh, think of is uh, Gus Poye who was let go by Brighton and he learned about it while he was doing commentary on BBC. So someone from the staff gave him a document saying, hey, you've just been let go by Brighton. So, rather than having to talk about the game that he was doing commentary on, he had to talk about, okay, why do you think you've been let go? Sort of an exit interview, basically. So, yeah. That's that's a that's a weird one.
1: I guess one thing on Ranieri. You guys were... had started following Chelsea when he got sacked at Chelsea, 2004?
0: I think my first season of following Chelsea was probably his last at Chelsea. So,
2: <laughs> I, I don't claim any credit for that. Same here. And... You know, that time there was already news that uh, you know Abramovich was going to replace this guy with uh, Jose, who was running a ride with Porto at that time, right? So, uh, and it was the first year in which I actually started watching football. I started watching football with the uh, with the World Cup in World 2002. Cup. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then started watching club football after that, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think we were disappointed. I think we were a little more numb. We were also some, a little naive at that time. We maybe we weren't as much in love with football and the club as we are now. So
0: Yeah, I, I would just echo what uh, Ab said. So anyway, that brings us on to our key topic of uh, interest today. So, Tuchel is gone, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. I mean, I was uh, talking to another Chelsea supporting friend last week and we've not had a good start to the season so i was just talking to him saying who who is a manager who's out there if Tuchel goes and this is this is quite literally like one week ago and uh, and, and yesterday i had to message him. see <laughs> that's what happens you you can't count on uh, continuity but yeah as as uh, ab also said about Abramovich, which uh, danieri was going to go and he was going to bring in someone who he liked because Ranieri was someone Abramovich in, uh, inherited and likewise Tuchel was someone Boli inherited so he's probably looking to bring someone of his own in. I have a lot of thoughts on
2: this one but let me try to like summarize my this one. So initial assessment is just total shock. right? I I know subsequent to the, to the news there's been lots of reports that this was coming... Uh, Uh, We shouldn't have been so surprised by it. There were things behind the scenes that were not good between Tuchel and the ownership. A couple of reports about uh, Tuchel not being happy with uh, some of the players also, players talking, or rather the owner talking directly to the players behind Tuchel's back and all of that. Still, I found it pretty shocking. You know, generally, if there are things like this going on behind the scenes, there are some leaks, right? Something comes out, you read about it somewhere. You know, this is the day and age in which even a simple training ground bust up which lasts for 30 seconds is big news. Like, there's somebody always following these things. So, the fact that there was no news uh, or no significant news about, um, you know, disgruntlement or tensions at Chelsea made this decision, extremely surprising. Uh, I echo your sentiment completely, like... Who's out there, right? Even if, let's say, okay, fine, results are bad. You're looking to change. Who's out there? There's nobody out there. I know there's been reports of stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of Tuchel being given more responsibility that he did not want to take in the transfer window, you know.
0: And uh, just uh, adding to that, um, you know, he did his interview with the Chelsea channel on the 1st of September or the 2nd of September, just after the window had closed. And uh, the interviewer was like, yeah, Thomas, so you've had a busy period. Now you're back to just being a coach. And he's he's always been very straightforward, I think. Probably the the Germanness in him. And he's like, yeah… Finally, I get to be a football coach again. And this is something that's come out in all the statements, etc. that have come out uh, after the sacking as well. That he was being, as upset, said, he's been asked to take on more responsibility, which he probably didn't want to. He's more of a coach-coach. He, he, he doesn't want to be a DOF plus coach or something like that. I mean, the, there are uh, people who would prefer to be overseeing everything, including transfers. But uh, he probably just wanted to give his opinion on players and then just move on to doing his coaching he
1: yeah I think it's uh, because of how new the owners are it's very tough to know whether this is a considered decision or you know if this is the way in which it's going to be for them Uh, you know I I, I was reading that the clubs that they own uh, in baseball I think in US they have been pretty stable and the manager is probably entering his 10th year but we know that all these things works in different ways uh, when they enter different sports because the understanding is uh, vastly different and all that, right? So, but having said that, I think Nushil's form, uh, like we have not really talked about it because probably it was still good enough, uh, you know, and Chelsea had a lot of problems over the season with the ownership change and all. But, you know, the goals against or the defensive uh, stability was reducing over time, uh, right? I, I think I was just reading that the first 50 games and the next 50 games uh, is kind of stark in terms of the goals that they conceded in the next uh, 50 games 24 goals versus 53 so they went to more than a goal per game i mean i don't think it was anywhere close to bad or even the uh, like uh, to even consider sacking to shell at this moment
2: so so yeah i agree with you rk and that's why i do not think this is a footballing decision at all it it is not and uh, you know, all these reports of things have been brewing behind the scenes, maybe overstated. I think there there are, of course, some tensions that have been growing. But, and the form is a concern. You know, I was saying on our group chat also that uh, the way it's going, it would have gotten to the point where you either sack Tuchel or Tote, right? And if, let's say this was the Roman Abramovich era, uh, Tuchel would have probably had till the end of September to save his job. As things stand, right? And uh, seeing what Swag and I have seen over the last 20 years, he likely wouldn't have saved his job. What I don't understand is, if the rumor mills are
0: to be believed and he was going to be sacked regardless of the outcome of the Champions League game, why did you give him all the signings that he asked for if you had already decided? I mean, okay, leave alone the other signings which would… 250 million pounds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and even if you leave the earlier ones that, okay, Sterling is someone that we are keen on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, why, why spend that 13, 14, 15, 20 million on Oba as well? Because Oba was brought in specifically for Tommy T because he's played with him and he knows how to manage him. So now what's Potter going to do with him? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, just very. Signed in one day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, someone, someone was tweeting that uh, if, if since this is uh, less than two weeks, can uh, can Oba go back and we get a refund or something like that? <laughs> so, I, I don't a refund know. from Barcelona. <laughs>
2: Yeah, on the signings, um, yeah, op- the obvious one, of course, Obama like Tukul identified target. He's worked with them before. They have a great relationship, etc. So that one is op- okay. Of the two hundred and seventy odd million spent, that ten million or whatever is you know earmarked by Tukul for Tukul, right? On the other ones, um, I know that Tukul and uh, Todd Pulley probably worked on them together from a shortlist and all of that. Uh, you know, I'm still bullish about the other ones. Uh, especially Kukurella Sterling. I think uh, Sterling, sorry. These people can be great players under any manager. Looking forward to seeing what Potter does with this group. You know, as such, I know there's been a lot said about 270 million on Tukul, but I think it's 270 million on on the club. I would look at it that way. The 10 million for Oba being the exception, I would feel.
1: Yeah, I, I think one good thing to come out of the appointment is probably, uh, I, I at least I feel that there is a similarity in some of the styles between Tukel and with Potter. Of course, there are differences as well, but I think, uh, you know, both like to play three at the back and it's a more of a position intensive style, right? Uh, so there are certain similarities which I feel, you know, it won't be a sea change for the players to move from one to the other. So probably that was also one of the thinkings behind the decision to appoint Potter
0: yeah it's it's an interesting decision for sure i mean this is probably one of the f- few times where um, a big elite club has let go of a manager and they've not gone for a stereotypically elite manager or a club legend so so this is obviously something which is very different from uh, earlier ones so this this is an interesting development uh, in in chelsea's history in in the chelsea's modern history for sure What are your thoughts on Potter taking over? Uh, As as I mentioned on the group as well, it it feels like a bittersweet thing. I mean, in a purely football manager uh, game style mode where he's building something from scratch and... Okay, I'll give you the
2: glass half full interpretation first. Then we can talk about the potential pitfalls. So, I think there is no doubt about his coaching pedigree, his ability to set a team up, get a lot out of his players... Uh, there's also a lot of flexibility in the way uh, he plays. It's you know it's not a one-dimensional sari ball type thing. Uh, there are numbers to back up the uh, arguments that under different formations, uh, his team still go out and you know achieve their objectives on the pitch. Fundamentally speaking, right. So I think there's a lot to be positive about. I think there's a lot to be positive about there, as R.K. said, and I concur that. There's a lot of stylistical similarities with Tuchel in terms of that position placed or control-based play. Pitfalls, you know, <laughs> there are quite a few of that as well. We're talking about a person who's managed Brighton and I think somewhere in Sweden before that, having to come up and uh, Swansea, Swansea and prior to that somewhere in Sweden, and then now he's having to. Ostersunds, here. yeah. And now he's having to. Manage a team that will play three games a week all the way, pretty much up to the World Cup, right? And then if we qualify out of our group, then three games a week after that also. So, getting tactical instructions into players in that shorter time frame is going to be crazy, right? So, Let's see how he does on those fronts.
1: Yeah I think uh, in addition to that, I am more intrigued about how the board and how the owners are going to treat him because there's uh, as we were discussing there's some talk about being uh, maybe very micro uh, like uh, you know liking to micromanage, being in constant touch, uh, you know wanting to know about different aspects which probably they don't need to get that into depth about. I don't know how if that is true first of all and if if true, how is Potter you know going to adjust to that? Most of all, talking about Chelsea, this is always going to come up. What amount of patience is he going to be given, right? Because there's a lot of inexperience there at this level, as he said, uh, as Ab was saying, like the player profile, UZL. I mean, there's a lot of uh, patience that will be needed with
2: Potter for sure. Question for Swag So, with this appointment now coming at this time of the season, what do you think our realistic expectations should be for the remainder of this season?
0: I think we should still target top four. Um, That should be the target. Will we achieve it? I don't know. But uh, top four should be something that we should definitely still try for. As you said, I don't know if he gets enough time to tactically tweak things around and and, uh, make people work exactly how he feels like. So do you have that time to do that? I don't know. But it's not as if he's taking over a dressing room full of folks who've not been in this situation as well. So you, you would expect that some sort of leadership from the players also needs to come in.
1: But uh, but who does the rebounds better than Chelsea, right? I think your best times and the best trophies have come when you are on, uh, you know, when you have entered your trust with a new manager. The last time you changed the manager, five months you won the Champions League.
0: Yeah, I mean both both our Champions League titles are mid-season uh, sackings. So yeah, I mean that's that's fair. Uh, that's a fair assessment. But I think the the drive has to come from the players now because uh, it's a World Cup year. They need to showcase themselves as well.
1: But uh, like I. I was talking to DSK and he made an interesting point and he wanted me to quote this from his side as to how are the media handling Potter because we are hearing a lot of complimentary things about Potter and like just comparing it to Eric Ten Hag. So Eric Ten Hag coming from the Dutch League can't cut it in the Premier League uh, but Graham Potter is the next big thing in football not won any trophies.
2: He's it's British. He's a, he's he's a, a soft smoke and British guy, I think. Yeah, that answers a lot. Basically, <laughs> takes care of it, right? I think uh, I don't think
1: there's anything else to be debated there. Yeah, so all the Michael Coxes and the Alison Rhodes, they they must be all the good words coming out.
0: Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, uh, you we've only heard good things about Potter at Brighton as well. So I mean, you're you're virtually dressed in Brighton colours, RK. We we can see your support for for Potter today, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a different ball game. Let's see how he does, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed he can bed in well. I just hope he's got some guarantees built into his uh, you, you have to give me six seasons at least or something like that. I but last know. point on Potter, I do think
2: he will be given time. Uh, everything I'm reading and hearing indicates that, but it's I think one thing to read about it and the other thing is, you know, when we're on the verge of getting out of the Champions League, <laughs> there's a different kind of pressure, right, always. So,
1: yeah, one, one last thing from my side also, I was uh, just going through something and uh, apparently he's done an MBA in emotional intelligence. That was the first time I've heard such a course.
0: I've heard of a postgraduate course in memes or something. So emotional intelligence is probably still still better there. But yeah, let's see how that goes. Um, Okay, so that brings us to the end of part one, which was Chelsea and the managerial turnaround. In part two, we'll look at the Champions League uh, games gone by and uh, have a discussion about that. Welcome back. Uh, In part two, we're doing a review of the Champions League games. Uh, And um, we would probably have started with uh, Zagreb's shock victory over Chelsea, but thanks to another German manager who wears a cap, uh, we can switch our attention to Napoli 4, Liverpool 1. The group is right now three folks who are not affiliated with Liverpool or rather from rival clubs with no Liverpool representation today. We are pretty happily going to discuss the drawbacks there was nothing positive to talk about from Liverpool anyway in this game.
1: Yeah, I, I like got a fair bit of curses already from uh, Rathor on that day for, and I think Up was also there. In fact, Up went one step further than me at half-time. He predicted a four-three win. <laughs> at least I was only going for a draw. And
0: and forty-seven minute Rathor was again going. See, <laughs> this is it now. Four four goals down. You know, the, uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about the tactics and performance, etc., etc., but there was a very sweet moment for me. Uh, so, Napoli had Simeone, right? Uh, Giovanni Simeone, who's Diego Simeone's son. And he's got a tattoo on his arm of the Champions League since he was 13 years old. And he promised his parents that the day he scores his first goal... He's uh, going to kiss the kiss the tattoo, and he comes on, and within four minutes he's scored, and he kisses the tattoo. So that's 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 a nice feel good story there as well. But yeah, Trent Alexander Arnold is taking quite a lot of headlines right now.
1: Trent and some other guys were, you know, just like training cones. I thought you place cones on the pitch. And you play one 2s around it like that one two on the second goal uh, which Napoli scored was probably uh, like one of the most basic moves that resulted in goals in Champions League probably at this level you don't see that th- those kind of goals being scored like I have never been a firm critic of uh, 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 you know Trent Arnold's defending as such because he has been a part of a very miserly defense so there has to be some credit which goes to the fullbacks you know in that situation as well so he has his good attributes when he's defending and he's not very good at one on ones but they found a way to mask his defects and highlight his strengths right but for me like what is the, the 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 thing which is most missing from liverpool and from trent from Gomez and so many other people just the desire the hunger the intensity seems to be missing for me this whole season that has never really come in their performances
0: yeah, and Trent was walking. I mean, I've just seen highlights. So, I mean, my my view of the game might be biased, but I mean, he he seemed very lackadaisical when when Napoli were attacking. He was like walking and not bothering to mark. Okay, your your primary responsibility might be to attack, and you have had usually good midfielders who would cover for your absence in the back back part of the pitch, but. If you're there, make an effort, right? Um, They they seem spent somehow. Uh, Ashwin, I think, mentioned in the group that there's some seven-year curse on Klopp where uh, that's happened with Dortmund as well. But, okay, curses aside, I think it's probably got to do with the fact that he takes his teams through intense physical levels. There is a point where you would break down, right? I mean, you won't be able to give your 100% anymore. So... It's, it's probably that that's happening. Probably the most
2: shocking performance I have seen from a club pool team, I don't know, in a long, long time. I cannot believe that the players turned up to a, an away Champions League match with this little intent to try and take the game to the opposition. From minute one, Napoli were all over them. Right? They were pressing, They basically did, they did a club to club. They pressed uh, their, uh, you know, their holding mids and their defenders hard. They closed down the fullbacks, uh, which are Liverpool's best outlets, uh, and uh, and to a large extent, Liverpool let them do that. So this was a very worrying performance. I was arguing on our group that there's nothing to be that worried about yet. Uh, if you're a Liverpool fan, in terms of how the season might go, but. Uh, I can see why if I was a Liverpool fan I would see that performance and uh, and be very very worried. This was
1: right. So there are some extenuating circumstances but I don't think those are such major issues for Liverpool. Uh, finally uh, you know th- there are, they have had injuries especially in midfield. Uh, Darwin Nunez is playing decently but I think Liverpool as a system are struggling to adjust uh, to him. So th- those kind of extenuating circumstances are there but I, uh you know i don't also believe that the problem is physical because that should not you know come in so early in the season on the group uh, we were uh, i was talking to radha and he was uh, you know mentioning that they had a short preseason but i don't think they had a short preseason in fact i think they had a pretty good preseason fitness and physical uh, you know the physical effort wise i don't think it's time for physical fatigue to set in the and this is you know where it gets worrying or not worrying depending on how you look at it I, I attribute it down to some kind of a mental fatigue or some kind of burnout uh, mentally so I uh, you know it, it depends and uh, you know those guys know it best Klopp knows it best whether it's something which can be reversed very quickly or it's you know going to result in a very uh, you know long trough Mental issues work that way. So, I think that's the most difficult part to call about Liverpool's form. The fact that for me, this seems mental.
0: Another thing uh, that uh, we need to consider is... uh... Okay, they've spent quite well to get Darwin Nunez in this season, but uh, midfield reinforcements didn't arrive.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the thing where I compare uh, to probably Alex Ferguson's time is, are they also, like, they have had some big transfers. Granted, they had a big transfer this summer as well. They brought in Nunez. But I think they are uh, also, there is an attempt to, is there an attempt to paper over some of the, you know, cracks or some of the evolution in the team just because... They have Klopp. I don't think they are. I think they are using that to probably, you know, postpone or uh, push the barrel down the road for a bit because Klopp is there and he will paper over those cracks.
2: Yeah, to me that also. I think that's a very good point, Arke. I think that also explains why Milner is probably still there, maybe one year past his sell-by date. I mean, I think Milner is a great guy to have around the squad. Always known as the consummate professional. But he should not be starting a Champions League game. So, uh, Swagat mentioned that the Champions League, uh, sorry, the midfielder never came in. The midfielder was never pursued, I think. That is the biggest thing. There is a belief that with the squad that they have, uh, even if they may be light in a position, that Klopp will manage it somehow, right? And it is a World Cup year, there is a good chance that some of the guys will get a break. Uh, for a month or so in december but uh, i think that may have been slightly miscalculated obviously Liverpool fans will argue that there's an unprecedented level of injuries similar to what happened two years back and obviously there is merit in that argument but probably you know uh, just um, freshening the squad slightly with replacement for milner uh, could have done the trick usually it's it's always just one or two replacements right that klopp brings in and that seems to add enough freshness to take the team through the season. So, I think uh, probably missed the trick over there.
1: Yeah, and a lot of fans also talk about Shua Mini, right? That he was their primary target and he didn't become available. And the next one is Jude Bellingham. Then that will have to wait till next summer. But those are two different positions. And if Liverpool had their primary target as Shua Mini, And considering that he's gone to Madrid, so he's gone for the long term... I think if they had a real intent of adding to midfield they would have, you know, gone for their plan B. So, I I think definitely there is an element of, you know, banking on Klopp there. Uh, But having said that, I think one one comment from Klopp I found pretty interesting in the press conference that he gave after the match. Uh, That is, you know, uh, kind of, some kind of reinvention which uh, Liverpool require. Of course, he did not mean it in a reinvention of playing style. But I liked what he said about even if you are not playing well, you still need to defend well and you still need to win games. And that's where he was talking about when liverpool don't press well and they give space to the opposition to play the pass in behind and they are also playing the high line it it becomes a you know road to nowhere basically for them so when uh, uh, what i understood from that and what i found interesting is when when you are not playing well is there a way that you can, you know, tide over that bad period by maybe defending in a slightly different manner? That's probably something that Liverpool can look at, which they have not had to look at, but probably something which yeah, might help and, them. And
0: one more thing. Um, do you think that they underestimated Napoli somehow? Do you think there's an element of that uh, in, in this game? Um, that...
2: For sure. For sure. I think... Uh... I, I, I think they definitely did, especially if you look at the way Osumhan awesome and uh, uh, the other forward players, you know, In-Gisar. In-Gisar, like they swarmed all over uh, Joe Gomez and uh, Bojal Van Dijk. right? And I think it almost shocked them a little bit. I don't think they were ready for that. Uh, so I think definitely there was maybe a little bit of underestimation. Maybe they expe- expected to a certain extent that they will turn up, Napoli will. Sit back a little bit. Uh, they'll allow Trent and Robertson to whip in those balls from both the flanks, and they'll get their game going. But I think uh, Napoli sh- uh, almost like left them a little shell shocked, right? So uh,
1: Napoli uh, seem to have found their new Maradona as well. <laughs> like uh, you know, the winger in that game being compared to Maradona with his
2: yeah. I thought you were going to compare uh, James Milner to Maradona for that handball, which was the most. That was, I think that is the funniest handball I have seen in quite some time. That was pretty funny, the way he held out his arm for that first penalty.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to try and attempt to pronounce the guy's name. But yeah, re- reading quite a lot about him. James Horncastle is also very bullish about him. nikki Bandini is also very bullish. Um, the return leg should be an interesting one. Uh, let's see what shape uh, Liverpool are in at that point of time. Uh, particularly the midfield. But Let's see. Probably, as RK said, a little bit of a change in playing style might be warranted. Maybe, I mean, considering Van Dyke is also not performing to his level. So, maybe you need some more solidity there. Maybe Trent can try and not attack yeah. the full 90 minutes.
1: No, not for 90 minutes, but at least tide over the 10 minutes, 15 minutes and you know
0: then get back yeah, to exactly. your side. Let's see how that goes. Uh, uh, We'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, apart from uh, Napoli-Liverpool, uh, we also had PSG-UV, and I would mentioned that I would try and get to this game, which I finally actually did so that it that was a good experience i ended up running into tancredi palmery uh, uh, outside the stadium i was thinking of inviting him over as a pod guest today but uh, i assume he has other places <laughs> to go and more important things to attend to but uh, yeah it was a nice experience the stadium is pretty good um, i coincidentally ended up uh, sitting in the ultra section i was not in charge of booking the tickets And I did not know that when I decided to wear my Chelsea jersey and go. So as soon as I walked into the gates, there was one guy who was standing there and he starts talking in French, pointing his finger at me. And the only thing I could understand in all of that was Chelsea. And he didn't seem very happy about it. So the the next thing I actually did was zipped up my jacket to make sure that uh, I survive this encounter and come back uh, well. But uh, yeah, the Ultras are pretty good, man. They're very well organized. Uh, If you saw the broadcast of the game, you must have seen all those pyrotechnics going off. And they they were very well prepared for that. You had some people who were going to uh, let go of these uh, pyros and they were prepared for uh, not being identified on screen if 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 you can understand what uh, i'm trying to say so yeah there was enough covering uh, to make sure that they they would not be identified in the post match video analysis so,
1: so trickery on the pitch and off it as well yes
0: exactly but yeah coming to the game um, it was a nice uh, match psg were dominant in the first half uh, mbappe scored two goals it was pretty greedy i would say i mean they they, they could have uh, settled the match completely. At, at 2-0, he had a very simple chance to square the ball to Neymar early in the second half. And if he had done it, Neymar was unmarked. It would have been 3-0. But he chose a difficult shot to get off uh, to try and get his heart trick which he didn't achieve by the end of the game as well. And within, I think, 50-60 seconds of this, uh, Juve had scored. It seemed like everything was flowing through Mbappe. His greed needs to be kept in check for uh, his sake as well as the team's. Another guy who impressed me quite a lot was Vitinha, who played in the midfield with Verratti and he's he's a youngish guy and he's just come into the team. Uh, first Champions League game. He's he's coming from Portugal. I think Sporting uh, Club uh, was his last club. He was pretty good. I mean, for his age, he was pretty mature um, whenever there was a loose ball because obviously the front three were not tracking back. Was uh, he
2: the guy who gave the assist to Mbappe for his first goal?
0: No, no. So, the first was a lob from Neymar and the second was a one with okay. uh, Hakimi. So, Veratti was slightly more defensively minded compared to Vitinha. But uh, Vitinha was able to uh, go into defence as well as come forward. And in fact, if you remember, we've talked about this on the group. You remember the incident where Mbappe was not involved in a build-up and he basically started walking off. It was Vitinia who had the ball, who was who was who was moving forward with with the ball in, in that incident. Right. So yeah, it it it, it uh, But Juventus seemed a bit uh, yeah. Juventus came back into the game because of uh, PSG letting them into the game rather than them forcing themselves onto the game. Allegri is anyway known to be a more defensively minded manager. Yeah. Um,
2: I do, and big shout out to those two Mbappe goals. I did not, uh, I don't see a lot of PSG. I don't see a lot of French football. I do see PSG when they play in the Champions League. Those two Mbappe goals were absolutely fantastic. Superb goals, uh, the you know the lob from Nebar as you said for the first one and that finished absolutely smashing it uh, past the goalie and even even the second one right that one two with Hakimi and then again another powerful finish I think man those were just classy goals I had just finished watching the Zagreb Chelsea game it was such a poor game and uh, you know the difference in quality in the 10 minutes in which the Chelsea match ended and then the 10 minutes in which the PSG UA game began was just so stark Right, I think it was a. I think P S G toyed with Juventus in that first half. Uh, if they, if it was only two one, it was because P S G decided it's going to be two one. Right, it's. I think that was the only thing. Um, and a quick uh, instruction to you, man. The next time you find yourself among the P S G ultras, just start seeking over Thiago Silva." <laughs> I mean, I mean that 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 was my survival
0: instinct as well. That okay, I'll I'll, I'll just keep saying Tukul, Silva, Alex, Tukul, Silva, Alex. I don't know how they feel about Tukul but if I think if you say oh
2: Thiago Silva, I think people will get behind you. Uh,
1: but interesting to see Neymar being the team man, right? Uh, that exquisite chip pass, uh, like, and, and he doesn't seem to mind Mbappe being the number one guy in that team. What a change. Yeah, I mean,
0: um, it seems like uh, it's, it's a very clearly defined hierarchy that this is the guy who's number one and the other two are there to support him. Messi as it is, I mean, throughout the match, I probably saw Messi try and make a run four times in the game. Um, so he was pretty chilled out. And even when they were tracking back, they... All three of them are notorious for not tracking back. Even then, it was Mbappe and Neymar who were tracking back more than him. So, he was basically, yeah, you know what, I'll just stand here. Unless it's an offside trap, I'll I'll, I'll not move back. Yeah,
2: I think Messi has evolved, right? I think uh, in this BAC team especially, where he knows that he doesn't have to contribute so much to the goal output. Uh, in, the, in this game, at least, the way I saw, he almost was a third midfielder, right, with Vettinia and Verratti, and uh, uh, he's very relaxed. He receives the ball. He knows that no matter how much they press him, they're not going to take the ball away from him. <laughs> he finds the he either wins the foul, finds the pass, and then he does what he does, what he did even so well at Barca. He will be walking around, and then suddenly he will accelerates, and you can't stop him. Right? Even at this age, he still has that burst in him. Yeah. So I like this. I like this new avatar of Messi. I think he's you know evolved into a player. He, yeah,
1: but but I I slightly differ from up there. Up calls it evolved. I call it decline. For me, that lack of movement, uh, yeah, it it doesn't probably hurt much for uh, in these kind of games. But in games which uh, you know, in in games which matter as well, we have seen Messi do the same thing. He is pretty anonymous and he can drift in and out of games and not really put his stamp on it. And that's a bit disappointing. Having grown up, you know, watching Messi, and that also comes to the fore in uh, in World Cups and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean sunsets happen for everyone. Yeah, I mean time time is inevitable,
0: but um, even then, it's it's like he's he's uh, reduces uh, output, but he knows that uh, if I have to switch it on, as upset. Right, so that's uh, enough about PSG ua I guess. Uh, in other games, uh, I mean we've talked a lot about uh, Liverpool and their struggles this season. I wonder what Sadio Mane is thinking of uh, when he sees his uh, former team going through this lean patch. I mean, he seems to be enjoying life in Munich. Uh, He's happy his team's doing well. Even though, as uh, Ashwin said, they're not top of the table in Bundesliga right now. So, not a farmer's league anymore. But, uh, in the Champions League, they were fine. They won 2-0 away at Inter Milan. And
1: probably Mane doesn't drink, but Oktoberfest is three weeks away.
0: Yeah, he he doesn't drink. Actually, this came out right. Uh, they had the team photo for uh, Oktoberfest, and he is the only one who doesn't have a beer in his hand because of his religious beliefs. Now, I think you saw a bit of Ajax
2: Rangers. They've sold everyone. Who are they playing? The janitor. Man, uh, our man uh, Steven Bergwijn is on fire at Ajax, by the way. Uh, he's scoring a bunch of goals. Uh, I did see a portion of this match. A good I guess that's because it's a
0: Farmers League, right, of <laughs> course.
2: <laughs> Maybe the Scottish League is. Uh, so. Anyway, um, I think uh, Ajax absolutely dominated Rangers. There were plenty of mistakes uh, defensively on both sides, but Ajax capitalized.
0: Yeah, so right now Ajax on top of the group, then Napoli second, Liverpool third and Rangers fourth. Another game that caught my eye was Leipzig 1, Shakhtar 4. It's it's not been a good game week for Red Bull teams but uh, this one was a bit different because Shakhtar as we know because of the Ukraine-Russia conflict, uh, Shakhtar have lost most of their players. Uh, most of the foreign imports are gone and despite that they've managed a 4-1 away victory at Leipzig and it's it's not Leipzig is not a bad team so I mean quite a stirring story for me there
1: yeah I think uh, they have a young Ukrainian winger Kylo Mudrik I think he's also one to watch been reading a lot about him never seen him but definitely I think that's a name which we will be seeing in the Premier League at some point in time
0: okay and uh, the other Red Bull team, which was Salzburg, uh, drew one-one with Milan. So, up we are in a group of death now. Zagreb is on top, They're followed by Milan and Salzburg, and Chelsea at the bottom. So, this is the actual group of death. We have we have to be on point now to win uh, to to go through. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's
2: going to be a difficult trip to the San Siro.
0: Yeah, and finally, a shout out, the weekly shout out to Haaland for scoring again and again. So he scored two against Sevilla and Man City won comfortably.
1: Uh, one counter that we need to keep account of is you know, assist KDB scored Haaland. That will probably start competing with uh,
2: Son and Kane. Yeah, and I just read that I think Haaland is only, what, uh, three goals away, four goals away from voting Rooney in terms of Champions League goals. At, yeah. Which yeah, is just—it's really a, cool. a ridiculous stat if you think about how much success Rooney has had in the Champions League over the years, right? It's—it's it's a crazy stat, and yeah. I think all numerical records for goal scoring are going to be beaten by this guy if he stays fit, and it's, it's ridiculous. He's averaging a goal every 55 minutes right now. All right,
0: so that uh, brings us to the end of this episode. We'll uh, see you again next week uh, with uh, updates of the games. But uh, for the time being, thanks both of you for uh, jumping on this uh, midweek. And we leave you with the sounds of Park and the Princess and the PSG crowd.